0: Hello, and welcome to The Herd Has Spoken, a podcast brought to you by Muskox Men's Apparel. Welcome back to The Herd Has Spoken. I'm Brad Hoos, your host and founder of Muskox, and really excited about today's conversation with Rafael Matone. Rafael is the CEO of Adea Security, He's a longtime cybersecurity veteran, former CIO of Duo Security, spent 11 and a half years at McAfee, spent five years at Dell. Rafael is a certified expert when it comes to cybersecurity. But I think more interesting than that, Rafael is someone who really believes in building people up and being supportive of folks. Uh, He had a little bit of a rough upbringing and that's really shaped him to try to make sure he's really understanding, really supportive of his team. And frankly, he's been someone that's been really supportive of Muscox from the beginning. So personally, I've I've been one of the many people who've been impacted in a positive way by Rafael and his leadership style. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from Rafael in terms of how he approaches challenges and <clears throat> leading a team. So with no further ado, my conversation with Rafael Matone. Rafael, great to see you and thanks for joining us here on the Herd has spoken.
1: Thanks for having me, Brad. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I I'd love to just kind of dive right in here. So you you're obviously a very experienced professional. You've you've been down the path as a as a CIO. You're a now a startup founder, nearly $3 million in in funding. And so you clearly have um, a lot of clout, so to speak, in the, in the community, particularly in the security community. But what I've noticed with you is that you seem to have a habit of looking for ways that you can build up other people. And this seems to be a recurring theme in terms of your communications. Um, and, and I'd love to hear Where does that come from?
1: Um, It's been, uh, thank you for noticing. Um, It is something that I experienced from leaders that I respected. And regardless if I would mess up or I didn't have the right skill sets when I started my career, there was always these great leaders throughout my different phases of my career that took the same approach. And so to have that feeling of, wow, like that leader's trying to help me is what I always wanted and always gravitated towards those types of leaders that did that and found that I was able to grow and be prosperous, especially in the cybersecurity uh, community, which unfortunately has a mixed (laughs) bag those different types of leaders, but um, it, it really is what I, one of the three things I wanted to make sure we did out of day. And no, we didn't get it right the first year as in any startup. I think you know there are uh, different decisions you have to make, uh, different experiences that you have to bring forward, but also at times, um, tough decisions that you have to make as you're growing a company. And um, it might even get down to picking maybe some of the wrong team members, or they don't wanna be part of the journey. Um, but where I feel like we're at now, uh, we definitely have that core team, um, that is going to grow a day and take us to the global level.
0: Yeah. So I, I love that. I love that, uh, uh, that sentiment in terms of you being able to learn from other leaders that you've worked with, but i want to push back in you a little bit. And, and here's, here's why I have noticed that you have tried to lift up a lot of people, even outside of your company, right? So frankly, you've been a huge fan of muskox, even though you, you're you not connected to to the company, aside from being an advocate of small businesses and medium-sized businesses in Detroit and, and nationally, and then over time, liking the clothes, which is great. And, and it, this isn't about the muskox clothes, but I, I share that to say, you're advocating for people who you on paper don't have any vested interest in. This is not something that Raphael is doing just for his team. This is something that you're doing across the board, which makes me think, Hey, is this something that comes from growing up during childhood? Were there people that were maybe influential for you bes- before you started you, you know, your illustrious career at, at Dell? I mean, are, are, wh- where do you think this comes from outside of the importance of leading by supporting and building up people on your team
1: I um I didn't have a great childhood and I didn't have the opportunities that I think most people may or may not take for granted. And so when, if you look at what's important to me, um, it is giving back to the community. But, um, you know, even right now, we're trying to ensure that we help local food banks. I've stood in line for food. Um, I've been one of those kids that had to get Part of the lunch program, all great things. I just see the world in a, a little bit of a different way, and always go back to that nine-year-old sitting there, going, "God, if you can help someone, regardless if it's buying something or uh, connecting them, uh, helping them find a job, um, it's not. It it used to be harder, but it's not that hard right now. You can click a button and do it, and it makes such a big impact." And then I learned a long time ago, probably with my first sales team, I've even had people reach out to me today going, I still remember you supporting me. And I think about that every day. And it's what I want to do now as a leader in their career path. So I, I equate it to sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's just I want to do it. And on this next chapter of this journey, I'm just trying to consciously make sure that that glow that I got from either my career or even this last um, role um, at Duo, that I can pay it forward, and and that, that's important to me. It's not about money. Maybe it's my age. Uh, maybe it's there's all these other things. But um, I get more enjoyment out of helping people now than I think I did even when I was younger. And so it just it it just really uh, sometimes I push myself to do it. Other times it just happens, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. Um, and, and that's what I hope that, um, my children also get as they grow up, um, because they do have the opportunity now that I did.
0: What do you think your nine-year-old self would say about what you're doing today?
1: Wouldn't believe that I'm doing this. I, <laughs> um, I, 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 honestly feel that, uh, he would be in shock because there was so much doubt in that kid, um, especially between the ages of nine and 16, um, because there were so many things like every other teenager that goes out there, uh, but to grow up in the eighties and nineties um, and, and not have what everyone else had, but also later in um, realizing that I was gay was another whole big component of that um, and during those times, it was not okay. Uh, I'm thankful for all of the, the work that the LGBT community has done to get us here. Um, and used to even be co-chair of uh, the Human Rights Campaign when I was in Texas. So I know how important it is to also just put yourself out there, even if others don't like it.
0: Yeah, I, think that's, I think that's powerful stuff. So when you, when you talk about the doubt that you had as a child, and now you're clearly a very confident leader and you've gotten to a spot where you unequivocally believe in yourself. Because at, at our age, for you to start a new business, there's no doubt that you know the perils, you know the challenges, and you still made that, that leap forward with day. So how did, how did you transition from being filled with that doubt to being filled with self-confidence enough that you went out? and started your own security company. And we'll get into this, but not just your own security company, but one that's targeting an unusual segment for security businesses, which is you're going after the small and medium businesses. So you're, you're, you're clearly extremely secure and confident man at this point. So how, how did that happen along the journey where you got to this point?
1: I didn't want to interrupt you, but I still doubt myself 12, at least a hundred times a day. So (laughs) by no means do I want to put it out there for the other founders or listeners to think that I'm uh, not full of doubt. I think you have to be as a founder. I think what I learned is one of my core items that I love to do is to fix things. And that is where it led to a day. And yes, there were some levels of confidence in the fact that I knew that I could bring in the experts that were my leaders in past lives and have them challenge me on whether or not this was the right thing to do, um, as well as uplift me again in a way that we could be successful. So um, I do think that you have to find as a founder, what is it that you really want to do and you're passionate about, but also don't be afraid to surround yourself with people that will not always say yes. And I have many of them around me going, don't do that. Yes, this is a good idea. But they're all through that lens of trying to help versus um, not enable, which is what you need in your first two years as a founder and a startup. Um, But I am very doubtful. I think any. You know, I always make lists. I love checking things off my list. So there comes that operation side of me. I think that is important for founders. Um, but I love fixing things. And that leads into where you want to go with the data because there's a lot of fixing that needs to be done. When you look at small and medium-sized customers, regardless of what you're selling or what services you're trying to provide them, we've put this lens on top of them that is very dated and doesn't work in this new world.
0: Okay, so let, let, let's talk about Adea a little bit. And, and maybe the first place to start is Adea. <laughs> is that, I work a day a week or, or or what? where does the name come from?
1: Well, I uh, worked for three cybersecurity companies where the names were difficult. And if you had a difficult name, it became tribal knowledge. As you explained to customers and partners, how to pronounce that name. So I already knew going into a I wanted a name that was difficult. So um, both my daughter's first names start with an A, which are the two A's at the beginning. And then the capital D is intentional because I knew I wanted to be headquartered in Detroit. So when I had my idea on the napkin, I literally wrote down A, capital A, lowercase A, capital B, and thought, okay, time to go Google and see what names I could find out there. So it was intentional. Um, And if you look at the origination of the name, it's in Latin America and the Middle East. It's called, it's pronounced Adia. And what I wanted to do goes back to what I said earlier, I wanted it though to be difficult to say and have a a meaning to it, which is why my daughter and Detroit are part of the names. And so uh, playing around with the name and moving around different initials, it was, I knew I wanted it to say Aidea, but if you take the A and the Y and switch it around, it looks like a spawn name, and which doesn't work in cybersecurity. You have to have that hacker kind of name that does, it looks high tech, but isn't. So I inverted the Y and the A, and then we just intentionally say, you will pronounce this Adea. And as people hear the story about how the two A's are my daughter's names. They can relate and then they get very excited as we begin to go across the United States and global that the D is capitalized because it's Detroit. Because Detroit has a very much a history of being a city that has been innovative. And in the last five to six years, we have everyone around the globe rooting for us. And there's they are seeing what we all see that have been down there for the last, I think you've been there longer than I have. Um, but, uh, you know, seven to 10 years that it is an amazing com- uh, city. And if you're going to have a startup or build your company, it's definitely a place you should look at because the, the people there are amazing and we're all helping each other in any way that we can.
0: Yeah, I I love being in Detroit because it's like, we yes, we all recognize that the, the number one thing we can do is to sort of have our own successful businesses. That's that's true. But Everyone is excited about your success because we all are part of this greater cause in terms of being able to help, help lift up one of the great American, American cities. And so, yeah, I I think it's, I think it's a ton of fun and it's great to be able to, to see, to pause and see all the success, um, but, you know, then quickly get back to work, right? That's just yeah. the, the, the way it works. You, you, you mentioned a word a moment ago that I want to go back to. You, you mentioned intentional. So in this case, you were talking about the name of your company. But you're also very intentional about being able to check boxes off of the list. And, and I want to understand a little bit more about how that intentionality, that vision, that purpose comes together with a startup company which is inherently messy and uncertain and one of my favorite metaphors for um, for a startup journey is where you're you can see the first step but you can't see the top of the staircase because it's so foggy so as as someone who who you know clearly gravitates towards being able to have that clarity and that intentionality how how do you manage that with the inherent murkiness of of creating a new business from scratch,
1: um, I do think my age played into the fact that I knew all the at least the starting components of starting a company. That I will give you. Um, there was still a lot of doubt. God help me, the day I had to put the payroll system in myself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that was all.
1: You know, I start missing all my old finance team members and my HR team members, and want to give them hugs the next time we can all see each yes. other. Yes, because now I understand. But I do think that. If you, if you hire the right people and you're okay with them, you know, I, I, um, my first job was with Adele and Michael Dell's first book says, hire people that are smarter than you and don't be afraid of it. That is what I wanted to do. And I had done that successfully at past companies where, yeah, maybe I had a title of VP or director or even CIO, but you have to surround yourself with people that are much smarter than you. And they're areas of expertise. And the way you complement that is to, you know, really guide them on what you want culturally or how they build their team. That is really where, you know, that first year was about at AdEa. It was messy. <laughs> I, I mean I it was not fun. Um, we had many different personalities trying to work together. We we're trying, like you said, build code and software from the ground up. Um, you know, None of us could have foreseen a pandemic. I mean, you know, if you go back to all the things that could have gone, you know, in our first year or year and a half, pandemic was not on my list of things that (laughs) I thought might happen, um, like everyone else. Shocking. But it really came down to finding those right team members and then saying, okay, listen, here are the three things we want to do. I think a lot of companies and even founders make too long of a list of goals or KPIs, and you're never gonna get to them. It used to drive me nuts at past companies where we would spend two to three days at an offsite and come out with 150 things and you're like, but the top three are the only ones that are gonna get done this year. Let's just not waste our time and keep checking off the list. And maybe that's short-sighted on my part, but I think that no matter how we grow, have three to five things that people can relate to. And one of the things is community and and how we can have a purpose of giving back to Detroit but also globally is core at Adea And that's why we're, we do our giving back program for food banks where we donate $1 from every order to the customer's state that they're in. So even they get to pick what state we're gonna donate in, which again, carries that paying it forward or purpose that we all want and thrive as we uh, continue to live in this new world. Um, so, and there's no right or wrong recipe. I've I, you know, I many founders in Detroit that I enjoy talking to. I think the thing to remember is you're not alone and that many other people have done or felt what you're going through. And that is a new thing for me. I always think because I used to be in roles that had an org above me, well, this is unique to me because I'm in this role and I just need to learn through it. I think as a founder, you really need to surround yourself with people that are ahead of you, regardless of their age or whatever, and listen to them on what they've gone through to get to year three, four, five, and six. That's how you complete that staircase. It's not about the product. It may not even be about the people, but to hear what they went through has filled in the blanks for me. And I now know what are probably the next milestones or gates or steps that we have to walk up um, because of what they went through ahead of me.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's that's interesting. So, w- one of the things that you you talked about <clears throat> along the way is the importance of being able to be focused. And I like to say, if you prioritize everything, you prioritize nothing, which is a different way of of saying your your point. And and for you, you guys have been very strategic about the launch of Adea and where you're going, right? So, uh, another thing that I love to say is, you don't want eighty percent of the people to like you. You want 20% of the people to love you. And if you can do that, you're going to be tremendously successful. So most, most cybersecurity businesses are ultimately targeting the large enterprise, right? They have the most dollars. They have the most employees. And, and you've taken a very different tact, which I think is very strategic and, and smart. So I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit about why you decided to, to pursue small, medium businesses as your core segment?
1: Uh, The simplest answer is because no one else wants to do it. And they're a vast (laughs) marketplace that, again, has been looked through the wrong lens. If you talk to a lot of cybersecurity companies or even any vertical, they'll tell you, well, small and medium-sized companies, may not understand cybersecurity, may not have the money or they're too difficult. Well, when I hear those things, I think you're looking at them as a revenue stream, not as a customer. So why not lead with a solution that they would need, not a point product, which is what we've done, build it in a way where there's automation because they're not gonna be able to hire hundreds of people to take care of whatever it is that you're offering and then price it for them. If you ever go to price books and look, you see where it's either, yeah, they're, they're treated as a freeware or that they're sometimes even the higher price versus the enterprise. Why is that? So for us, we built that solution in a way where we know with confidence now, it's what they want. Um, it doesn't take them away from their day-to-day business so they don't have to play IT and we price it in the way that they can afford. And so even in our pricing, we get asked, wait, is that a watered down version? No, it's enterprise grade security software that we built for you. Do I only get service during certain business hours if I call your support team or can I only talk to them via chat? No, 24/7 support, just like an enterprise. Um, And then they say, well, how many devices? It's unlimited devices. So Brad could have five, 10, 20 devices, we don't care. It's per user costs. And for our entry-level customers, which is what we say with love, it's $12 per user per month. So that's where we start to see business owners go, I can afford this. It protects our company, our brand, our data. And then the interesting thing in this space is the enterprise companies are pushing down that they have to have the same security standards as them if they want to do business. So think of you know the whole retail industry, we had that one very large company that was breached during Christmas. It was with an HVAC company that had five employees. They plugged in and boom, Christmas was ruined. So you you start to see that dollar amount and employee size really don't matter. There are some amazing companies in the small space that have five, 10, 20, 30 employees and they have hundred to $200 million sitting in their bank account because of whatever they're in and they're ready they just haven't had the ability to find anyone that can do everything for them, and not have to hire an army or lose a headcount to be able to afford it. And right. that's what we've taken on.
0: So it's clear you've been really thoughtful in terms of why you wanted to go after a small medium business, and the same for the simple reason of hey, other people aren't targeting it is is a great place to start. And and I'm curious for for people who are listening. Is there a way that you think through what good opportunities look like in general? So taking a step back from a day where you've clearly been very strategic in your approach to the, to the marketplace, but what, what are some of the ways that you've been able to identify what a good opportunity looks like?
1: Well, I think the first is, is it something you're passionate about? I mean, if you're not passionate about it, 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 could grow, but it may still not be what excites you or the team or the company. Um, I also think if you look at all the companies that have been successful in the last five, or even this last year, they found things that we took for granted or looked at through a really dated lens and turned it upside down. So as you're whiteboarding, whatever it is you want to do, and you start to see that there's this model out there that's starting to look dated or is through a lens that could be changed, there's your opportunity, right? You You've We're seeing it over and over again where innovation really isn't innovation anymore. If you think about it, it's just turning something upside down and meeting the market needs at the right time. And as founders, I think that's the, the lens you have to look at, but you have to be passionate about it, right? Um, otherwise, it's not going to work. And yeah. I and that is what I would say to anyone listening is, what is this thing that we've done as humans for the last 10 years that's probably barbaric, upside down, or long, no longer valid? If that's a niche that you're excited about or or you see a new opportunity, that's it. It, it's really that simple and you will likely know within a couple months after talking to customers that that you should do like bounce it off your f- friends but they might all say yes because they see another startup right go find people that will challenge you and say and explain to them the story because two things can happen you will know whether or not this is the right opportunity but they might also all of a sudden change their mindset and want to support you on it which is when you know you're on the right path
0: so when you when you decided to start Adea, I'm curious what was going through your mind so for for listeners, you'd spent five years at Dell, almost twelve years at McAfee. you were at FireEye and you're a CIO at duo, right? I mean, you're an accomplished guy. you've worked with some really big brands in the cybersecurity industry, and you could have gotten an executive job at countless brands out there doing good work and and, and so what is it that made you decide at this stage in your career that it was the right move to go out and start your own company from the ground up?
1: Um, I, you know, I love older people and then talking to them, even as a kid, I would always gravitate towards the grandparents kind of listening to their stories and they, no matter where you go, when you start to talk to people in their sixties, seventies, eighties, they all say one thing live your life in a way where you don't regret it in your final hours. And that is one of my core principles, no matter what I look like at. So yes, you're correct. I worked at amazing companies. I had amazing offers after Duo to go work at a lot of companies, but I always wanted to own my own business and I didn't really know what it was. And when I started to look at what I enjoyed, it is cybersecurity. It's like a puzzle. It is fast paced. It's ever changing daily. And that excites me. I know that's not for everyone. And so I just thought, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now because I don't want to live in regret. It might fail. It might succeed. And I know that it could still go either way. But I'd rather be in those final moments thinking, wow, that was a kick-ass life (laughs) that I got to live. And I tried it versus living in this world of self-doubt, which later on in life could lead to um, me regretting something because, you know, we only get one life and all those other taglines that we all hear. But it's something I've always done, no matter what I look at. Um, You know, when I was, you know, as a gay man wanting children, we're taught in the 80s and 90s, that's never going to happen. So again, I made my checklist and said, what are my options? And for us, um, after trying adoption a couple of times, it was surrogacy and i went through the process it was chaotic i had no idea what i was getting myself into but we have two amazing little girls and i will say that was the third time in my life that i felt like okay as i was going into a startup i remember that moment right you live in this world of comfort i do better when i'm in my stretch zone and i always have and so when you know when i was looking at that for our children I started to remember as I was talking to other founders about being a startup going, okay, this is almost the same thing. I don't know what I'm doing. I need a checklist. <laughs> I need to surround myself with people that will support me on my dream. And if I do that, it could turn into something. And that that is that first step you have to take. And for me, it goes back to, I just don't want to live life with regret. I will always, I know I'm always gonna make errors. I've screwed up, trust me, many times. Um, (laughs) I don't think I know everything. I told you earlier, I doubt myself at least a hundred times a day, but I do feel like I have the right checklist. That's that upside of me. We have the right team members that are here and wanna be part of this journey. And we have a very large group of investors, um, advisors, and even friends that are saying, you're on the right path, keep going. And that is what you need um, in the startup.
0: Yeah, especially when you surround yourself like you have, with people who feel comfortable, and are going to give you honest feedback. Right? Because when you when you when you're around those people, you know that if they don't agree with what you're doing, or if they think there's a better way, they're going to share that with you. And so now you're in a spot where when someone tells you that you actually take it to heart, because you know, they're going to shoot you straight. And I think that's, A really important, you know, characteristic of of good friends of a founder, like you said, is candor and someone who's going to shoot you straight. And 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 I love that you know you're you recognize, hey, this is risky. It might work, it might not. You're obviously you're working very hard every day to make sure it works and and having some good successes. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're betting on yourself. And 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 I think that's a powerful thing to do. And sure. We we have doubt. I have doubt every day, just just like you. But I think there's there's a distinction, and I'd be interested in your take on this. There's the distinction between having doubt and then having the confidence to to go and put yourself out there. It's sort of like, yeah, I'm gonna take this leap. It's not gonna be perfect. I'm gonna have questions in my head, but one way or another, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this leap. I'm gonna put some clear priorities around this. I'm gonna surround myself with the right people, but I'm gonna bet on myself.
1: Yeah, and I think don't be afraid to ask for help, even on a question. So, you know, what, as you were asking earlier, well, how, when you were starting this, what did you do? I called three of my old leaders that are very uh, big leaders in cybersecurity and said, here's my idea, what do you think? Two said, you're crazy, this is a market that's not ready. But then three days later called me back, like, wait a minute. And then I had one guy who I adore now, um, I, you know, I call him my vampire because he only works in the evening. He, he, <laughs> he was like, this is crazy. You shouldn't do this. This is a complete fail. And then turned things around and became an investor because he now he sees it through that different lens, but you're right. I go back to your original question. I rather have people give me information or straight, their straight reaction versus just wanting to tell me what I want to hear, because I do take it to heart um, and I think as a leader or even a, you know wherever you go in your life, you're you have to be willing to hear other people regardless of where they're at in the spectrum of your beliefs. I think that is the other thing that I learned as a gay man back in the 90s as we were trying to change the perception of the LGBT community. You have to pull in even those people that have a difference of opinion and change their mindset gradually by listening to them, showing them that maybe what they're thinking is inaccurate um, and they will evolve. I've got close friends now that are very, very conservative, but not on the LGBTQ area. And it's because they got to know me and they got to know. So those personal stories are what's going to continue to help all of us, whether it's in your personal life or even as a founder um if you decide to go down this path
0: how do you think how do you think growing up in the 90s as a gay man needing to try to help convince and open minds impacted who you are today and, and your your skill set when it comes to being able to be a founder
1: well that is that's a, that's a good story so i moved to dallas texas and i met this amazing woman uh patty And um, in Texas at that time, it was 90, God, it would have been 99. Um, They'd already been doing for five years where they created a proclamation in the Dallas Morning News of all the companies and individuals that supported the LGBTQ community. And they would run an ad in September as well as sponsor uh, Gay Pride at the Texas State Fair. So if you wanna talk about being pushed into a stretch zone or having people not like you, we would stand on the corner in this very heavy traffic area um, on Saturdays and Sundays, and we would collect those names um, through donations. That'll put some thick skin on you (laughs) in a way that in Dallas, Texas, in the late 90s, um, trying to change that mindset. But what was interesting is, and I noticed this even today, It sharpens up your skill set on being able to interact with people who may not believe in what you're doing. And if nothing else, be able to hold that conversation. Um, And there were times where it was scary, you know, protests and all those other things that would happen or, um, but it it really taught me to be comfortable putting myself out there and know that it's okay. Not everyone's going to like me or what I do. Um, And that did help me and what I'm doing now as a founder, because again, not everyone's gonna like me, not everyone's gonna like what we're doing. And I think for the other founders out there, that's okay, as long as you're respectful and not try to tear others down. Um, I think there's a very toxic thing, in my opinion, going on on social media, and I just take the high road. It's like, you know, if you don't agree with someone, just scroll past it, but in the end, know that it's okay as long as if they've said something that's professional or um, through a lens of what they see, um, it's okay for people to have a difference of opinion.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, w- one of the things I feel like is hard for all of us is to know, <laughs> is, is to continue to trust our own instincts and and to trust ourselves. This kind of goes back to, to the doubt question. But for you as as CEO, one of the old expressions of course is it's lonely at the top. And, and that that actually, I think, is something that's really true in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm curious to hear from you. How do you know if you're doing a good job?
1: You have to listen and even into your team and your customers and be prepared for a negative, right? Um, I also think you shouldn't put yourself at the top. You don't have to. That is another dated lens that I think we carry forward and it drives me crazy. I tell my team yeah. all the time, stop treating me like I'm this thing up here, right? Like, if you want to have coffee with me, put it on my calendar, I'll do it, you know. Um, and I think that goes back to what you had asked at the beginning of the call. If you're relatable, and you don't put yourself by title or uh, in an org as out of reach, then people will want to work with you. And those, you know, we've had many team members now join that have worked with me at McAfee and eye um, and even at Duo. And it's because I'm, yes, I have a title. Yes, there's this job that I have to carry forward to grow the company. But I don't think you have to isolate yourself as a founder or CEO. You can surround yourself with people that know you, and want to be part of the journey, either within the company at the beginning stages, which is critical, or outside of the company personally. And I have a very uh, tight knit group of friends that are, you know, that know me from when I was 18, and they'll slap me around and tell me your <laughs> your ego's getting too big. We all need off, that or, once in a while. Yeah, or you're still that you know you're still that putz in college. Stop it, right? Um, but I, joking aside, I think. As you prepare for that journey, if you decide to do a startup, you really should have those things in place because otherwise, yes, you're right. It will feel lonely and that you don't want because you already have enough things to doubt yourself on. You don't want to feel like you're alone or that no one else has gone through this before.
0: Well, you've been very generous with your time. I got a couple of questions left here for you, but before I let you go, what is your biggest pet peeve?
1: I hate when people are mean to others. It is because I was bullied as a kid, as a kid, um, and so my biggest pet peeve is to watch someone else do that to someone else, and I hate it. I've even fell into those traps myself. So again, not you know, gonna sit on my high horse, but that is one of my biggest pet peeves. And I think that you know, if you can just walk away, if that's really what you how you feel, that's probably the best situation. Um, or um, if it's going towards someone else uh, because they're being um, attacked for who they are, like LGBTQ or um, diversity, long list of things that are very important on race or gender or whatever, I I get really, really, I I almost, I get really angry. It just, I I I can't stand it. I can't tolerate it. And I just think we have to squash it so that our kids don't have to experience what we are seeing right now um and have those difficult conversations
0: yeah absolutely and and just one one follow-up on that because i know you to be someone that's that's so positive and and so uplifting but i find it fascinating that you say that even you have fallen into that into that trap right i think it's a good reminder that this can happen to any of us and and, and i I'd love to hear, how did you catch yourself in that moment? Because obviously, that's not something that is, is who you are as a person. That's not something who, what you do regularly. But hey, we're, we're all human, right? right? I think the important thing is to find out these ways where we can catch ourselves when we start do going down the, the wrong path, however brief or, or long it may be. So when when you kind of identified that how, how did you how did you recognize that in yourself or was it someone else who pointed that out out to you
1: I um, had an amazing boss uh, Julie cullivan who pointed it out to me and but she also showed what the trigger was and so as you can imagine being in IT or operations you're in that G bucket in a lot of corporate worlds and people want treat you differently. And that's mm-hmm. fine. I'm thick skinned and I can take it. It's when they attack my team that the pit bull comes out. Right. And so I naturally want to protect. And at times I have to realize that maybe I should just let it go. Um, it's even happened at Adea, And I know that I may have handled it incorrectly, but it was to protect the team. And so I think to answer your question, know what the button is. I know what my three buttons are. And for me in corporate America, if you attack, attack my team as you know, I've seen, I do turn into this bear, it's not fun. And I have a hard time overcoming it because I just want to protect them. So I used to have a, a, a past team members and a few of them are here now, but they would say, I know you have my back because you would come out of those meetings and you look like you were just bullets through you or pushed up against the wall. <laughs> But you would just tell us, don't worry about it. Keep doing what you're doing and stay focused. And I've got this right. And so that's what I mean about like understanding what it is that could push you into that realm again and just hope you don't do it. But it will happen. You know, it, it, it happened last year and I know it. I recognized it. I saw how some of our team members coiled and be in the background. I was trying to protect everyone and it still came off incorrectly. And I reflect on it a lot. And, you know, and that's what goes back to, I think for all leaders, we're all human. And if anyone thinks you're not, or they perceive or they put themselves out there that they're not directly or indirectly, it's not true. It happens.
0: Agreed. Agreed. Um, Final, final question for you. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received, Raphael?
1: Dream big. Dream so big that by the time you get to those goals, you're gonna be in such shock that you got there. Um, And I do know that, like I said, in my childhood, it wasn't the greatest. I dreamed big and I can look back now and go, a lot of those things I dreamed about being a dad, um, being married, even though I'm a gay man, and um, having an amazing career, being able to go around the globe, which I never thought would happen as a Midwest kid. Um, and now even as a startup or a business owner, dream big. The worst that could happen is you fail. And if you fail, you check the box and go, at least I tried. That, yeah. That's what life's about. And no matter how you slice what's going on in, in life, I just, I tell everyone, dream. I tell my kids all the time, drink big. Because if you work hard and you keep trying and know that you might fail, it probably will work. It just may not be the exact path of how you got there, but it'll work.
0: Well, I think that's a fantastic note to note to end on. Um, And and the beautiful thing is I think most people regret the things that they didn't try more so than the things that they tried on and and failed. And the beauty of failure is you can try it again. You can try it again. Uh, Well, Raphael, we appreciate your time so much. Appreciate you joining us here um on the herd has spoken and and for all of your your help and support of of muskox and i know the whole herd is pulling for you as you continue to to make things happen with Adea and um and and we can't wait to follow your your success both both personally um in in your adventures with your with your family and your your daughters and, and also with your your company and and like i said i think we're we're all very confident that things will continue to go uh, v- very well and we appreciate your support
1: thank you Brad i appreciate being here
0: And that's a wrap. I want to thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you haven't yet, please consider liking and subscribing and providing a review to The Herd Has Spoken wherever you're listening to this podcast. Those reviews really make an impact in terms of uh, people getting a chance to hear more great stories like we heard from Raphael today. I want to thank rafael matone for spending his time with us today if you're a small medium business and looking for security by all means please check out Adea security they're doing really fantastic things rafael's a trusted leader in the space and, and we're really thankful to have him as part of the muskox and if you're not familiar with muskox please go ahead and check us out GoMuskox.com is the website We've got fantastic men's outdoor apparel uh, that's comfortable and, and looks fantastic as you heard Raphael say on the podcast today. So um, we'd really appreciate you checking that out uh, checking us out. And with that, thanks for listening. Roam freely and we will see you next time.